Welcome to Museums in Strange Places. I'm your host, Hannah Hethman, and this is a podcast for people who love museums, stories, culture, and exploring the world. This year, I'm living in Iceland, and in each episode, I visit a different Icelandic museum to discover what stories they hold and how they reflect and shape Iceland's unique cultural identity. That's what I find fascinating about this museum. What's the story behind um, a candlestick or, or behind this iron? Who, who used the iron in the old days? And the keys, what, what does it, um, where's the door? And uh, what is behind the door? If I ask you to describe the kind of objects that are typically displayed in museums, your first thoughts might be about priceless art and objects of historical value. We often pick our museum objects based on the value society assigned to their owners or creators. If you see an ordinary object like a pincushion or a pen in a museum, it's usually because it belonged to someone extraordinary. But what would it look like to have a museum of objects collected for their own sakes? where highlighting the beauty and utility celebrates the everyday lives of everyday people. You'll find the answer in Sverid Hermansson's Museum of Sundry Objects. Tucked away in an ordinary building in a narrow valley just below the town of Akereri in North Iceland, the Smaumunusap Sveris Hermanssoner is one eccentric man's spectacular collection of ordinary things. There's not much going on this deep into the valley, just a few farmhouses and historic churches dotting the hillside. As soon as I got out of the car, I felt the peace that comes from soaking in the stillness and silence of Iceland in the winter. I was met at the door by the director of the museum, Sigurosa. The museum isn't usually open in the winter, but as she told me later, she's always happy to get a chance to spend time at the collection and share its stories with visitors. The moment you walk into the main gallery, there are rows and rows of beautiful displays filled with meticulously arranged nails, saws, doorknobs, keys, matchboxes, light bulbs, pencil nubs, and every other kind of ordinary household thing you wouldn't imagine in a museum. Um, my name is Sigríður Rosa Sigurðardóttir. I'm called Sigurðrosa and I'm the head of this museum. This is called the Soundtree Collection of Sverri Hermansson, uh, Smámunasap Sveris Hermanssonar. Uh, it opened up here in Solgarður, which is about 27 kilometers inside from Akureyri into the fjörd. Uh, we opened up in 2003, in July, and he gave the museum to uh, the county in the beginning of the year, 2003, because he wanted this to be on a display for people to come and have a look. And so what is the collection here? What is the museum? And tell us about uh, Sveri. 
Well, it's a bit of like the name says, Sundry Collection. It's all kinds of things that all relate to a home or a house in one way or another. Uh, whether it was to build the house or do the cooking, decorating, make the clothes, make the food, whatever. He started this when he was about seven years old. And he was always collecting his whole life. He died when he was 80, back in 2012. And he sort of, like I said, collected everything. And he was a housekeeper, house carpenter by trade. And he restored old houses and old churches. And everything he couldn't use there went into his collection. So we estimate there is well over 20,000 items here. And we do not include all the nails and the screws and <laughs> this really, really small stuff that is here in the basement. Why did he collect all, the, all these things? Sari was really special person. He was like centric and he was quite proud of it. And um, in a way he could be, um, he could say that he was an autistic in a way. Sort of, um, and his main goal in life was to, to collect things. But you can see here when you have a look around that he showed everything of respect and he cared for everything. So he was a really, I think, good human being, kind, but he had a really good uh, sense of humor, sarcastic in, in sometimes. Um, and you can see that when you walk around and when you sort of get to know his history, unfortunately, I never met the man, uh, but I've heard of him both from his family and, and friends. And um, he was the kind that we need more of in the world, I think. Well, would you tell me a bit about how the things are organized and displayed? I think it's his display process is really interesting. All the carpenter tools, both from him and from quite a lot of other people are here. We've got cupboards full of keys, for instance. Um, he was really organized from day one from the day he was born, I think. So he made quite a lot of showcases and boxes, which he organized things in. And um, when we are going to document the museum, which we are just starting to do, it's quite a lot of work, we can, um, it's, it's easier because he had organized everything. I mean, all the scissors are in the same place, um, all the screws and and. and spoons and stuff that it's all in the same place so you don't have to go around the whole museum to find things which makes it um, unique I think because um, not all the scissors are the same so it's nice to be able to look at um, a piece of wood with all the scissors on and see the difference between them and you, you get you get a bit overwhelmed when you come in here because it's so much stuff and this is the kind of museum you can come into again and again and again because you can always see something new. I mean, I've been here for nearly 14 years every summer and I can still see things that I haven't noticed before, which is the best thing about it. And you said he's, he's made all these, most of these cabinets all himself. Yes. Um, and he liked to reuse things. So he used old screws and nails. He used old wood. Um, a lot of the wood is well over 100 years old. Some of it comes from some of the old houses or churches that he restored. The glass is all old as well. And all the material he used to um, 
to organize things and, and display things in the boxes are all old. But um, he sort of looked at the things really well. He cared about everything, and you can see that everywhere. It almost feels like a huge artwork made out of recycled materials, like one large, or maybe many small artworks. It almost, yeah, it has the feel of like a, a folk art piece. Well, uh, funny enough, you should say that. Um, the guys that put up this um, um, museum or this exhibition, they are both artists, and they were amazed how this old carpenter in Akrerovitz only went once to Reykjavik during his lifetime, and that was to get his wife. Um, how how good sense he had, and the feeling he had for for all the Arctic rules, all the rules you have to uh, follow when you are painting a picture. And they said it's like we are looking at a painting when we're looking at at the boards he placed place things on or or the boxes. And which was really amazing, but it was because he was so particular about everything, and and it shows. Where where did he get all these things? Like I said, he collected those uh, in the old houses and churches that he restored. He would bend down when he was walking around the streets to pick up things, and after people heard about him collecting things, they started to give him. And we have actually had two things here at the museum after his death that were uh, labeled with his name, but uh, the people never got around to give it to him. It's it's really compelling. Like you wouldn't think that having a hundred keys on a, on a board would be anything special. It could very easily just be kind of a weird hoarded space, but somehow it's. It's beautiful and it's it's really compelling. Why do you why do you think it is that these ordinary objects are so captivating? I think when you when you think when you look behind the thing is the history. Who owned it? Where has it been? What story could it tell you? Um, and I can show you a small thing, which um, I noticed many years ago, and I got someone to tell me the story of the people behind that thing. This is a small wooden tap, which was used in a thing called strokkur, where they made butter and skir in the old days. And this is labeled with the name of my great-grandmother. So this belonged to my great-great-grandmother. And when I got to know the history behind this little wooden tap, was that this lady, my great-great-grandmother, she had been married twice, lost both of her husbands to the ocean. Uh, One child drowned with one of the uh, husbands, the, the second husband, and she lost two kids to illnesses. So in the end, Around 45 years old, she was a single mom of five, living in a remote uh, valley, and had nothing to uh, trust except for herself. And she was a fighter, and all her kids were fighters. And my grandmother, which was her great-granddaughter, um, she was a real fighter. And, and these, this is just a, one single story out of all of them. Mm. 
shows, for instance, how strong women are. And um, that's what I find fascinating about this museum. What's the story behind um, a candlestick or, or behind this iron who, who used the iron in the old days? And the keys, what, what does it, um, where's the door? <laughs> and um, what was behind the door? And that's what I find fascinating with this museum. Plus we get the visitors and they can all tell us stories. We've had uh, refugees from Syria, and they recognized quite a lot of items in here. Um, And I got the explanation, I thought, because the the grandma of the group was showing me all things we used to uh, use before the, on the first half of last century in Iceland. And I thought, oh, I mean, she's old, obviously she knows this since she was a kid. But in parts of Syria where the war is really bad, they have no water, no electricity, and they're using the old stuff, the old things. So she was telling me that she has been using that for the past years because of the war. That sort of makes you think from this little place in Iceland has um, a connection to Syria. I've got goosebumps. That's so cool. Yeah. And I mean, we get people here from Australia, New Zealand, uh, America, from Liechtenstein, from from uh, Singapore. It was a lady who came here a few years back from Singapore, and she spent over three hours in the museum. Her boys and her husband, they were waiting outside for her. She read about this museum online, and she always wanted to come here. And she was just fascinated by it. And I mean, then you can have people coming in here thinking, why are they using a whole good uh, house under all this rubbish? But it's not rubbish. I mean, to some people it is, yeah. But when you think about it, the history-wise, um, and it's just it's unique that this everything collected by one man. That's the most fascinating thing about the museum, I think. Yeah, and that not only did he collect it, but that he, the organization, I think, the collection and organization, it's it's kind of representative. I mean, that's how museums came to be originally. Someone just was obsessive about collecting things and organizing them and then classifying them. And that's how we have classification systems that tell us what we're seeing in natural history museums and the big, you know, hallowed halls in London or whatever. And And yet this is the same thing. Uh, all done by one man in this kind of dedication and, and commitment and, and yeah, and the, the, the consistency across it all is, is really spectacular. It is. And I mean, if you think about it, where would we be without museums? I mean, we would know half of the things we know. And uh, the compassion that you learn here. I mean, he was a compassionate person, I think. And, and he, he, it shows how much... Respect, he shows everything. doesn't matter whether it's a glass or a spoon or a hammer. It's, it's all cared for in, in, a, in the same way. So, and, and plus, um, because we were talking about the art part of the museum, people have been in here looking around and they say, well, this is um, a modern museum as well. Because the way he displays things, I mean... 
putting some nails on a on a wooden board. That's uh, a modern piece of art. So it's in a way timeless. Yeah, it doesn't feel, uh, you know, sometimes you can go to museums that are dedicated to like collections in the same kind of thing, one person's thousand objects of X or Y or Z. And even though they're really interesting, they can be a little messy or a little, it can feel a little old. This, as soon as I walked into this space, I felt that it it feels fresh and new and it it feels like a new museum. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, it feels like a contemporary museum, like you said. Okay, you have, a, a, like you said, a museum displaying work of one man, but not in this way. It's his whole collection. And then it's the museum, and then there's Sverdis himself. Because, yeah. like, like I said, he was centric, and he was quite proud of it. Mm-hmm. And he once said that um, he would listen to other people's advice, then they, he would compare it to him, himself, and then he would do what he thought was best doesn't matter what everyone else said. Yeah. Yeah, he sounds like a fascinating person. Yeah. Um, how was he happy with the museum as it turned out? Yeah, he was. He lived in a small house in the old town of Akureyri in Adelstræti. And I think this space here is about three times bigger than what he had. Um, and he said the day they opened this up that it was far too small. Because, I mean, we still have a lot of things in the basement and we have a garage which is full of stuff. And we try to have a special sort of small exhibitions every summer so we can um, exhibit all the things that he collected. I mean, we can have a, a chair exhibition. He got beautiful chairs in the basement. He collected envelopes from companies and institutions and they are all organized in alphabetical order. And we can show that. We got loads of cards. He collected cards. He collected postcards. He collected papers. So it's loads here. I think, um, if we can go over here, I think one of my favorite things that I've seen so far are the boxes of razor blades and razor blade covers. And uh, I think the match boxes were on, on a different side. But these, these rates, these, these little tiny pieces of art. And you wouldn't think it'd be so silly to collect razor blades, but they're beautiful, all lined up like that. Yeah, and, and I mean, uh, the packages from the blades, mm-hmm. they're really, really nice. And I mean, they obviously, in, you can see in the older days, people uh, put effort into making things look great. Today they don't do that. It's it's like there's a cupboard here with um, a small containers of milk which were used in in the Icelandic airline, Iceland Air in the older days, with pictures of places in Iceland. You don't see that here. Yeah, and then right next to it we have all the things he's done with false teeth that he got, right? Yeah, he, he made a box, oh, it's like a chest of drawers out of, of uh, matchbox and, and cardboard. And he used his teeth as a knob for, for the drawers. And I mean, when you've got plenty of false teeth, why don't you use them? That is the sense of humor that Sverdet had that is showing throughout the museum. It's like there are uh, picture frames here which he found in a, in a box in a dumpster new ones that someone didn't 
have any use for. And he just put all kinds of things in them, like old wooden nails, um, pictures of of uh, footballers, hair of himself since he was 68. I mean, yeah, we got pencil shavings from from sharpening colored pencils. Yeah, and you can see there are different kinds of wood used in the pencils. So I mean, it's educational, which you can see throughout the museum. But it's it's a bit of a laugh. I mean, who puts a hair of your, himself in a frame, 68 years old? But then again, why not? If you still have hair when you're 68, why not? You, you take a, a hair off of your kid and put it in a frame. I mean, sense of humor. What's your favorite uh, piece or set of objects in the museum? Well, these pizza frames are basically... Yeah, it's nearly everything, <laughs> I think. It's like I said, it's it's privilege to work in a place that you love to go at two in the mornings. And even though it's just in the summertime, uh, we're closed during the winter, I still come here and, and I sort of come in and take a deep breath. And, and I just really care about everything and I'm I'm so lucky there's a woman working here with me Maka and we are equally uh, enthusiastic about the museum not everyone is but uh, since we took over two years just over two years ago we have given people uh, we walk with people around the museum telling them the stories pointing out things getting stories from our guests as well and that has really paid off because we are always getting people in here saying, well, so-and-so came and they felt really welcome and they loved when you walked around with them to uh, tell them about the museum, tell them about Sverdes. And that is our best um, advertisement, is to uh, introduce people to the museum and introduce the museum to the people and Sverdes. Yeah, I guess despite it being a museum about objects, the most interesting thing is the person behind them and, like you said, the people behind the objects. And so it makes sense to to make the museum a human experience, talking to people, gathering stories, sharing stories, uh, experiencing it with with the people like you who are passionate about the the objects and the boxes and the displays and the stories behind them. It is. And I mean... and. Like I said, the history is really fascinating. It, it's like it's, uh, pieces of wood on the wall over there. Uh, some of it is from, could be from Africa, from America. This is all wood that, that uh, has floated over the ocean. Oh, it's driftwood. Yeah, it's a driftwood, all of it. And you see a different method. Um, it's, they come out differently. They age differently. What a story. A one piece of driftwood would tell you where it's been, where does it come from, how long was it in the ocean. Um, I know there was a house built out of it here, in just outside Akurere. It stood there for hundreds of years, and then it's here in this museum. How old is the wood? <laughs> I mean, this is the thing that lasts. I mean, today they are making things that don't last, and that what. Uh, all all the nails in all the boxes are old nails, not the new titanium, because Sverre didn't believe in that. 
he said they wouldn't last. The old stuff lasts because it was made to last. Today they don't make things to last and that is the difference. I'm not sure whether in 50 or 100 years you would have a museum of things from 2000 to 2010 that would last and look as well as the things here. I'm not sure. Probably not. No. So this is history. This shows us how things can last and how much effort people put in to decorate things. I mean, see the locks, on the, the door locks and the door handles that are in the museum collected. You can see how much work there has been put into making one door knob. Beautiful. Yeah. And we get people here which are restoring their old houses and just really sort of, can I have this please? It's just <laughs> like in my house. Because they can't get it anywhere because yeah. people have thrown it away. But sorry, it's stuck here. We're keeping it. <laughs> this, is a hist- this is a museum for everyone. doesn't matter whether there are kids or whether you're 10 or 90 years old or 20 years old. We get quite a lot of young people which are interested in, the, in things here. And like I said earlier, it doesn't matter where in the world you live. You can always see here something that you recognize from your own country. So that makes it a universal museum, uh, a modern museum, historical museum, and um, like you said, fascinating place to visit. The Smau Munasap asks us to think about the ordinary people behind ordinary objects, challenging us to rethink how we decide which members of society are most valuable and whose lives are worth commemoration through the collection of their trinkets and tools. Sveri's thoughtful arrangement of supposedly worthless things reminded me to slow down, enjoy the details and the artistry in the thousands of man-made objects surrounding me every day. The story Sigurosa told about the people behind the things, known and unknown, made me reflect on the way the smallest commonalities can foster understanding between people worlds apart, if we only stop and take the time to listen and observe. Music in this episode is by Baghdad Brothers, a new Icelandic band based in Reykjavik. You can see photos of the museum and find more Baghdad Brothers music on my website, hethman.com. That's H-H-E-T-H-M-O-N.com. If you like museums in strange places, you'll love Museum Archipelago, a podcast by Ian Elsner that explores the landscape of museums. Check out episode 33, where you can hear me talk more about why I started podcasting about Icelandic museums. For new listeners, Ian recommends starting with episode 36 about the Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Center. Subscribe to Museum Archipelago wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 hey.